0: Boom! Mm-hmm. You for listening to the Roundtable Consult, where we discuss political and social issues that matter to you from a spiritual, medical, and legal perspective. Join the conversation with your host, Attorney Sanya Madison, and Dr. Mark Williams. Welcome to the Roundtable Consult. I'm your host, Dr. Mark Williams, and we're joined today with my wonderful co host, Attorney Sanya Madison. Sanya, good morning to you. Good morning. Is it snowing over
1: there? no i don't think so
0: thankfully it's oh, not
1: hey. oh, that's just your yeah. usual happy to hear from me i got you
0: yes exactly <laughs> it, it, why, why do you think that it has to be a a a a, a, a Catastrophe, a natural catastrophe, in order for me to be happy to see you.
1: Hey, I don't classify snow as a natural catastrophe.
0: In Nashville, it is, in Nashville. and you should know in Atlanta, it is as well.
1: Oh, it's just ice over here.
0: Oh, wow! Right. Yeah. But
1: it was nice to see some flurries last weekend. I mean, I take it you guys got some inches.
0: We did, we did, uh, we did twice now. And I don't want to see them ever again. In fact, I saw probably uh, last weekend, Sunday, was the biggest snowflakes I have ever seen in my life. These things were probably the size of a golf ball dropping out of the sky. I couldn't believe it. I was like, what? I had to videotape it. I meant to post it on social media because this was a phenomenon that had never been seen before in my 52 years of living. So, I
1: was going to say comes. 80 years, and this is the biggest one, I guess,
0: every other ah. It is. <laughs> if I'm 80 years time. old, I look awfully good for 80 years old. Good Lord. Hey, I hope you I look this family- good.
1: I'll give you our family genes are good. It is what it is. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> if I look half this good when I made it, I'll be all right. I'd be all right. Yeah. Well,
1: you know, we got to condolences. I heard um, this morning that Regina King's son passed away. And I think last night it was beginning to be reported. It was a lot of backlash because people felt like the family didn't have enough time to take in the news and grieve before it became all over social media, which is a sad and unfortunate. Because I remember when Kobe Bryant finally went through that same issue, but right. to find out that it was by suicide—that's got to be heart heart wrenching.
0: Yeah, that's unfortunate. Definitely, it's unfortunate when it happens to anybody. I imagine it's only more difficult when you are a celebrity and you're a public guy, then you have to deal with other people constantly making news of your of your suffering and. You know, that's just a really horrific thing for anybody to do, uh, especially during a time when people are trying to grieve the loss of their loved ones and and trying to do it in a private way, especially when it's incredibly difficult to do that because of your celebrity. Um, but I guess some people say that's the cost of celebrity though, right?
1: I mean, you know, is it a cost or is that just a consequence, but... I I don't know. I I mean, I think it's an unfortunate. I don't think anyone signs up for that. But interesting that you say that, though. I was watching, and I know this is a a very bad segue, so let me just put that disclaimer (laughs) out there. But I was watching something called... We don't um, expect anything more from you. I was watching a show called Kids Behind Bars, and essentially, back in 2012, the Supreme Court, I think it's Miller v. Alabama, state of Alabama, ruled that Kids. Is this
0: another um, reality show?
1: Nope. This is... Okay. <laughs> well, it is a reality <laughs> show, I guess, because it is real life. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, but uh, but it's more documentary than um, the entertainment reality. But but anyway, so back in 2012, there was a prequel decision that says, they be, um, said about Linda v. Miller, that essentially simply said that minors or kids cannot be incarcerated without the possibility of parole unless the the state can show that the crime not only is so horrific, but the child is unable to be rehabilitated just because of some psychological or whatever, which maybe one day we'll have someone on the show to talk about the cognitive brain of the child and whether or not they truly can understand either the consequences or right or wrong. anyways, so you see these kids, I think one kid killed his stepmother and three brothers and other uh, kids killed two or three people. And so the question is, um, one, did they appreciate the cost? As we brought it up? cost of, of being a celebrity. But one, do kids appreciate the cost of taking someone's life? And then two, should they get a second chance? Should they be eligible to be paroled and after 20 or so years and come back to life, behind, I mean, you know, outside of the bars? <laughs> So, what are you? What are your thoughts? Do kids, particularly, and I think for the most part, these are kids that are like between 13 and 16. But do they understand and appreciate the consequences? I don't. I don't think that they do.
0: I mean, kids that age don't understand or appreciate the consequence of unprotected sex, let alone you know actually (laughs) killing somebody. Uh, So it's. um, I don't think that that, that I, I would agree with that type of a ruling. Uh, but unfortunately, I believe that in our society, there are there's a belief that black kids understand it better than white kids do. <laughs> and as a result, you know, we're more often, they're more often tried as adults than they are children. And so, uh, but I guess that the, the big question comes down to how do you try that? Uh, individual do you try them as a child or do you try them as an adult and you can easily get around that requirement by trying them as an adult and as we see it happens to un- unfortunately too frequently with our black children particularly our black males
1: yeah well and, and it's and always an that inter- interesting conundrum the whole chicken and egg it's that the police that are for the most part actively pursuing black children at a higher rate than white children or is it the the justice system or the the courtroom that's responsible for why, you know, essentially so many black kids are incarcerated at a higher rate. And I mean, I definitely put some ownership on the police. I still remember in New York, stop and frisk or (laughs) the way they weren't able to just, oh, if you have any reasonable suspicion, okay, reasonable suspicion to a white person to a black person are completely different. And one is logical and one is prejudicial. Um, no, but
0: you <laughs> <laughs> you coming hard early today, aren't you? I'm like right off the rip, just, yeah, I mean, just let me me whole, have I, it.
1: I've been watching too many documentaries this past week of, of again because that one of the cases that I know we'll move on, but one of the cases, the kid that again was given life without parole, he didn't actually shoot the person, but he was in the, I guess, part of the conspiracy to to kidnap and rob this guy so that's you know oftentimes in time with some of these state laws if you're in the commission of a felony kidnapping and robbery those are often considered felonies. and someone dies then you can tra- be charged with murder so just imagine this 15 year old kid thinking oh okay we'll just take a couple of dollars and then find out that the people he's hanging around older or younger i'm not sure what their ages were decided to take it to another level and kill someone. I can definitely see the argument there that they, that he did not understand the consequences (laughs) of, um, you know, thinking you could take a couple of dollars for a kid, but at the same time, those are the consequences. I mean, you can talk about um, premarital sex, but the consequences is the pregnancy. You can't take away the pregnancy just because someone doesn't appreciate it
0: in certain states, you still can't. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, without, again, I mean, it doesn't disappear. You will have to do something proactive in terms of actually getting the abortion. Um, no. But uh, unless, uh, now, are you saying there's more mercy in that situation as a Christian, or, or we haven't, we won't talk about whether or not abortion is wrong from the Christian standpoint or not?
0: Well, you know, I mean, from the Christian standpoint, I'm, just, I'm I don't know that there's much argument from from my perspective, at least. Uh, I've, I would have presumed that you would have the same belief, but uh, I'm often surprised by some of your beliefs. Uh, Make no
1: predictions.
0: I'm like, man, I thought she was saved. So she should obviously (laughs) believe this way. But but yeah, I I think it's a matter of um, separating what you believe from a Christian standpoint from what is permissible and what is allowable under the constitution. Uh, because as we've said many times before, they are not uh, comparable. They are not you know, interdependent and they are independent of each other, the truth of the matter is. And so you can quite differently have uh, beliefs that are based off of what you think should happen in our civil society versus what should happen within the kingdom of God. I think of course the latter has a higher standard. Of course. But of course the Supreme Court (laughs) appears to be able to, uh, appears to be trying to make the latter the standard for the former. And uh, (laughs) this past week, they uh, hear that they blocked another attempt to, uh, that they've had in the courts to, overturn or stay the Texas abortion lawsuits and again they they've rejected that. Um, I think the Supreme Court is in in, 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 in mo in rejection mode right now, aren't they? You know, they <laughs> rejected uh, I mean they just like reject hand. Ah, and uh they're especially giving that to um, to Donald Trump. So we were excited to hit, well, I don't know if you were excited or not. You oh, might not yes. have been excited. I
1: was excited about the subpoena, but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs>
0: excited. I was referring to the uh, Supreme Court blocked um, or denied uh, Donald Trump's request to keep the documents from the National Archives from going to the January 6th committee. So now I know they have in their possession over 700 documents. Um, that, that That's, you know, of course, very revealing at this point, you know, there was exactly an executive order that he had written, fortunately, that did not get um, delivered or enacted or signed for that matter, um, that would have involved the Department of Defense in our elections, and they would have gone through and it would have enabled the Department of Defense to go and seize all of the election uh, machines from across probably just from the contested states, but uh, the states that Trump lost. and. that's mind-blowing to me because I know people who think the military should get involved in regulating and, and and enforcing our elections right now. And that, to me, is really frightful because if you think that the military is going to assume power in any country and then relinquish it back to democracy, you're fooling yourself. So uh, be careful what you wish for some of those people who... Uh, who would support that, but nonetheless, that was a little bunny trail, uh, just for your listening pleasures.
1: (laughs) I'll always (laughs) find the hypocrisy in, oh, they should get involved in elections, but when we were talking about integration and all the things that we needed, the the federal department or government to get involved in, then it was like, oh, no, 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 we should let the states handle that. We, We shouldn't disperse our military to make sure black children go to schools that they are district in are, or make sure integration happens, hmm. the
0: hypocrisy, right? <laughs> yeah, you're not supposed to notice those kind of things, Anya. you're not supposed to notice those things. They're supposed to just fly right under the radar, uh, but that's why we're here on the Round Table Console to help us recognize these blatant, <laughs> brazen hypocrisies by our lawmakers. Uh, which is uh, just just a whole other topic, but a so uh, lighter we note. You gotta yes. get
1: into the. Well, hold on. That name. I was representing the Falcons. You gotta represent represent science. Hey, well, I like you know, the Titans. Well, you know we got to
0: do that. The Titans and the Bengals. So I'm good. I just didn't have a Bengals jersey. I might find a Bengals jersey somewhere around yeah. the house. Yeah, hey, I,
1: got, I gotta a, go
0: for the Titans. You know, either <laughs> <laughs> either way, I'm good. You know, the Bengals. The Bengals. Uh, They've, they've, they're long deserved for this. They've, it's been a long time for them to be able to enjoy some success like this, and they've been looking good this year. Um, I wish I had the uh, tenacity or the endurance or the stupidity to go to the game, uh, but I don't. <laughs> for two reasons three not reasons
1: fan. not a fan
0: <laughs> <laughs> Well, no that's not one of the reasons i mean that could be one of the reasons and frankly i could care less which one wins either way i'm a winner and uh, i'm always win. i always win i get so tired of winning oh wait a minute that's trump um <laughs> but you know three reasons why i don't want to go one is too cold outside when the temperature drops below my age we have a problem and so each year that bar changes uh, the second reason is I've been to the Titans games and they are deafening. And I just don't need to be around that much noise. <laughs> and third reason is them tickets are just way too expensive. I'm not that interested. I'm sorry. But well, it would have been to nice the, to do. Uh,
1: according to the students at Wharton, the average person makes six figures. So you could cough up whatever that ticket costs and go. <laughs> and
0: yeah, that's, that's not the average black person. That's not the average, but that's fact, not the average
1: might, person. I mean, let's be That clear. might not, not be the average any... person. <laughs> <laughs> Black or white, that is not the average person.
0: Hey, it's not the average solo practitioner E&T. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but can you believe that 25% of the citizens at Wharton think that?
0: Oh, that's crazy. Yeah, I can believe it. I can believe it. And and the the question is, is, you know, who they, uh, you said 25% what?
1: Well, according to one of the professors at Ward, 25% of her students believe that the average person earned six figures.
0: But the, the key word there is where it was taken. With a Polo Sega, <laughs> but even then obviously. i'm like
1: is there no television i mean we have social media you have access to worlds outside your own <laughs> yeah. i mean these are going to be our future leaders and they think that we are making six figures
0: when you grow up in privilege you think that six figures is a standard is is is, is, is base is a baseline it's just an entry level of course
1: I don't mind you thinking it's a baseline, but don't think that that is everyone's reality. That's where I'm like, come on. (laughs) Hey, everyone should have their expectations, have your standards, but don't think that the rest of the world is living in the circle of white privileges you are.
0: (laughs) Jeez, Sonia, you're so (laughs) brutal (laughs) today. I think it's the makeup. I think it's the makeup that's what it is it must be i mean you start painting that face and then you start painting with a big broad brush everything else too might as well go ahead but i like it though i, <laughs> I
1: mean, like that the was makeup. Just shocking too. that was oh thank you i mean i know you're like funny you're beautiful but now it's just a, a glow of light beyond what you can yeah ever say.
0: <laughs> have you ever really heard me say that
1: oh of course
0: <laughs> ever ever <laughs> i mean while during awake hours (laughs) while you're awake (laughs) jeez but but that's 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 uh that's unfortunate that a lot of people believe that it's you'd be surprised what a lot of people's beliefs are i'm um interested and i just want to get this before we get to our topic i just wanted to run this past you i'm a minority if you haven't noticed (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> i didn't know if you noticed know so glad yeah, to a, hear you say
0: it <laughs> i'm a black man and i operate a black-owned business because i own the business and and so i had a former employee someone who had worked with me for three years you know a friend of mine posted something on the internet let me put, give a little backstory. posted something on the internet just the uh a couple of days ago he said businesses should stop saying we're like family here, because how many of you will drug test your family members? How many of you will lay off your uh, your family members or or put your wife on a performance improvement plan or put your spouse on a performance improvement plan? And so he he ran down a list of things that you would do to employees that you would not necessarily do to family members. And I beg to differ with that because I'm (laughs) like, um
1: uh, yeah <laughs> courtney pees
0: in a couple of hours. <laughs> heck yeah there are some family members that i would want a drug test before before they come to thanksgiving dinner <laughs> in fact there's going to be some of them that i will COVID test before they come to the home as well for a thanksgiving dinner uh there are people in relationships spouses put people on performance improvement plans all the time if you have any disagreements with people then you're going to be on a performance improvement plan but anyway, it just made me think about that whole concept of saying that, you know, we're like a family at our place of employment because I really do take pride in believing that we we actually interact a lot like family in our in our workplace and I think for a small business that does not pay as competitively as some of the other larger businesses you have to have other perks and one of those other perks is to have a more lighthearted environment a more friendly environment one where you feel like you're among friends and family uh, but obviously that becomes difficult when you have to discipline someone and so there's a former employee that we had to let go Um, you know there was no hard feelings at least from our standpoint because by the time you get fired from my office you should have been fired like <laughs> Ten offenses ago, <laughs> and so I never really feel bad. By the time we have to let somebody go, and most of the people, even frankly, who have been terminated from our office uh, for performance issues, still remain friends with with me and with my office manager, who actually is the one who does the firing. But one of them posted something that said, "Today, I saw my my doctor really had my back to me after three months." And it's a shame that, you know, after three years was unlike with my former employee who asked employer who after three years didn't have my back. It's sad that it's always your own people who don't have your back. And I'm like, what? And so um, I I was a little hurt by that. I was a little hurt by it because, you know, what I'm saying, listen, we're 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 family here and and we do try to treat each other like family but we do recognize that that there's a business to it you know business has no compassion but i do and which is one of the reasons why you you stick around for much longer than you probably should have i heard somebody say hire slow and fire quickly and the, the point is, is that's what you do unfortunately i do it the other way you know i hire quickly and then take forever before you let somebody go which is a mistake uh, but you, uh, I'm a hopeless optimist. And uh, if, if there is such a thing, a hopeless optimist, I always believe that people can and will do better. But it's apparently it doesn't pay off sometimes because people don't recognize that chance after chance after chance after chance is really somebody's having your back and trying to advocate for your opportunity to do better. So. I wanted so badly to respond publicly, but I was like, I guess I better not do that.
1: You know, I really- I guess like, I just oh, did, huh? Ah! You did. <laughs> I, I really don't like, and I'm only going to speak on the Black Community because that's the community I'm in, but I really don't like when we say things like that. Say, oh, we're harder on ourselves. Or, oh, we're always picking on each other. Or, we're always putting each other down. Quite frankly, I think that we are just as celebratory about each other as we are when we condemn each other. and again, you look at industries where we are the minority, I do feel like we lift those individuals up at such a higher degree than some of the others. I mean, I I hate to use the entertainment, but that's obviously what's always in front of our face. But some of our Black athletes are some of the highest paid. You look at Naomi, you look at Serena, these are some of the highest paid individuals in this sector. Now, granted, it took them years and a lot of hardship. To get to that point, and don't get me wrong, I'm sure there were a lot of their white counterparts earning more than them as they were initially in that industry. But nonetheless, I do think we're very celebratory of them as they succeeded, and as well as when they say, hey, this is this is too much, let me take a break. I felt like we came to their defense at a lot more higher rate than, of course, some of the their, their white counterparts. But on the same token, we, we still have to hold each other accountable, someone who represents a lot of employers, I will say for the most part, a lot of employers, they are not quick to fire, you know, unless it's like during the probationary period, which, you know, sorry, you can't (laughs) that. Relationship hasn't been secured within that 90 days for you to feel entitled to that job. But for the most part, it takes a lot of money and expense to train a person. And so if you get someone who's been there for a couple of years, The expense of firing that person and hiring someone else is a lot higher than trying to keep that person on um, and and trying to improve their performance. And so I do think in that realm, sometimes employers can get a bad rap. I know that's why unions become so prevalent because they want to be able to have this, I guess, defense organization where, hey, actually be able to get five, six, seven times. Before you fire me, and even if you fire, even even before that, I should get like three warnings, and then three final warnings. You know, it, it's like this progression. But at some point, you know, I think there should be a question of if if you're truly not doing well, is this the position for you? And I, I you know, oftentimes we take things so reactionary and you put the blame on the other. It could be an opportunity to look into another field or to see where your, where your true strengths lies. Sometimes where a door closes, another door opens. I like that.
0: That, you know, instead of saying, we're going to let you go, we're going to let you have another opportunity. <laughs>
1: we're going to open another door. <laughs>
0: we're going to open another door for you to explore what you're actually good at. <laughs> well, the irony of this is, is that when you post such a thing, you say it's sad that it's always your own people. Who don't have your back. Guess what you've just done? You just stabbed the person who was your own people in the back yourself. Because you put them out like that. You know, I put them out in public on social media, which, you know, this whole this whole issue. I, I like I said I wanted to respond, but I figured I probably better not, because the things that we post on social media and and we say on public blogs can come back to haunt you. We uh, see that this past weekend, as we transition into our topic, because I think this is related to. Um, but we'll start off with this one because it should be a pretty quick discussion. Uh, this law professor Have at You Penn... met
1: you. I'm just... Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, had to throw that in there. But go ahead.
0: <laughs> this professor, uh, Amy Wax at uh, Penn Law, <clears throat> was on a, uh, on a on a on uh, a. On a blog show, and she was espousing some of her own personal opinions. <laughs> some of those opinions were extremely racist. She would say things like, uh, "She has yet to meet any black students who graduate in the top twenty-five percent of her class, or maybe more than more than a handful in all her years of teaching who have graduated in the top fifty percent of her class." And uh, she was cautioning about getting too many Asian elites in this country. And she thinks that that, that would be a bad thing. Uh, she thinks the United States, and I think she said, quote, the United States is better off with fewer Asians and less Asian immigrants. <coughs> well, interestingly, she justifies this because she says, um, I guess the the host of the blog was a black man, too, by the way. And and I guess he asked us, what's the problem with having so many uh, Asians, Asian doctors, engineers and attorneys and you know, people in these, uh, which she would have called Asian elites, quote unquote. (coughs) She was saying that, that the problem is that they're supportive of the Democratic Party. And and then she went further to say, does their heart beat? true liberty you know and i'm like wow these are the things that a law professor is saying it, well it probably wouldn't surprise me if there are fewer black people in your class who get grades especially if you're grading on a subjective level you know and you're the one who's grading but she's a tenured professor and it sparks a whole conversation about whether or not tenured professors, that the tenureship should actually be uh, as protective of professors as it really is. She's now uh, being, I guess, investigated and or uh, potentially face some sanctions and maybe loss of her tenure. Uh, from the university for having said these things. Now, the big question is, is she said these things as in, in the capacity of her own personal beliefs, as opposed to in her capacity as a professor and a representative of the law school? Should that
1: matter? Well, first of all, <clears throat> what you do outside of, of your work is going to matter. And whether or not it should or shouldn't, I don't think is relevant. Because again, you know, as we talked about earlier, We can't request that corporations have a corporal responsibility um, or some type of moral responsibility, but then say, oh, but you can't put any expectations on your employees to then be part of that social change that you're seeking to to then expound upon these corporations. And so I do think it's fair. We've seen this repeatedly in so many situations when someone does say anti-Semitic or um, anti-Black or just... Anti, um, I say I say minority, but just, just that is very Right? <laughs> yeah, I do think you need to. Now you're gonna try to
0: because... be. Now you're gonna try to be soft. You know, come out strong, <laughs> blazing, guns blazing, and now you're trying to find every word other than say racist. <laughs> I
1: mean, we were talking about Trump. I say that five or six times. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, we we, but there they also I think what's funny about this is I don't think this is the first time or nor do I think that uh, the school didn't already know that she shared these sentiments. So to some degree, if you get to this point where they've kind of let you have your ideology without punishing you for it, but then you get so blazing to be like, well, now I'm going to get on a platform and do it. I think you're then putting a a knife to the throat of the corporation. It's like, okay, what are you going to do to me? Um, I know with tenure, people get bolder because then it's like, you can't fire me. I've got this tenure status. Um, But at the same time, if you're going to say we're trying to bring more diversity into our school and we're trying to encourage more enrollment, you can't have these type of sentiments. What I find interesting is I'm not sure Asians um, would vote Democrat at such a higher rate unless you are, and I say this honestly about our minorities, unless you spouse a type of hatred. Because again, when you're looking at the Latin American communities, I think we talked about this before, a lot of them, as we see even in the in Florida, a lot of them are very conservative and vote Republican. But now you get to this point where you're gonna spout anti-immigration um, and, and racial and prejudicial remarks you're putting the gun to the head. It's no longer about your ideology. It is really about your pure hatred simply because my skin has a little bit melanin. And and so then what what are you supposed to do with that? And so when I read stuff like this, I'm like, okay, this isn't about Democrat or Republican. This is about you truly have a, a racial bone in your body. Because again, if you are about Republican values, you wouldn't be concerned about this. You would encourage hate the conservatism and the lack of again federal intervention in your lives. because for the most part i would imagine to say a lot of minorities would like to be left alone but it's the fact that you are intentionally oppressing them that they can't excel at the same manner that a white person does that then we then ask for such intervention um and so that's i mean that's obviously you know what i'm sure what everyone's expecting me to say but that I mean, I, I would love to see her terminated. I, I appreciate the host of the show who's a black person putting these comments on black, but I'm just, this narrative from Republicans that, oh, you know, we're losing our party and diversity and, and minorities are going to take over. Well, it's your fault because you're, again, you're not using your ideology to cater to the interests of minorities. You're instead using your prejudice and your racism to ostracize them. And so then what are you expecting
0: them to do well i just wanted to get you on record and giving your opinion of that one before we got into our topic today <laughs> it will take because that, that uh, hypocrisy somehow or another I <laughs> no, I the hypocrisy is
1: coming no i'm just kidding my, my viewers know better my viewers know better
0: <laughs> we'll see <laughs>
1: Now you got me over here coughing a little bit.
0: Yeah, so three hundred <laughs> miles away. Yeah, I got you coughing two hundred.
1: <laughs> you want to <yeah>. keep on <laughs> increasing or decreasing that number? <laughs> uh, but but as you mentioned, so you know we're talking about rap lyrics and their role in the judicial and, and criminal system. And right now we've got a few rappers, Jay Z included, which interesting enough. Kelly and Roland is on the signature list, but not Beyonce, but neither here her there. <laughs> but he is proposing or signing um, a bill that is being introduced by two other um, interest groups, saying that two other individuals that are in the interest groups arguing that rap lyrics should not be used in criminal cases. And essentially, he's saying that. Um, Rather than acknowledge rap music as a form of artistic expression, police and prosecutors argue that the lyrics should be interpreted literally in the words of one prosecutor as anti- autobiographical journals, even though the genre is rooted in a long tradition of storytelling that privileges figuratively, figurative language. I can't even know I can speak today. Figurative language is steeped in hyperbole and employs all of the same... That makeup devices, is heavy. Fine in more traditional works of poetry. I know, I feel like my eyelash
0: <laughs> is, I devout, is blurring. I can barely move, move my <laughs> face.
1: <laughs> blurring the words. And, and so, I mean, the question is, is rap lyrics considered art or considered um, evidence? And of course we can all advocate the lawyer's and he's always gonna say depends. <laughs> so I was gonna say depends. Of uh-huh. um, but but even, that was one
0: step closer than I thought. Yeah. That's, that's actually a little bit more objective than I would have expected. But now thinking about the but lawyer I, I yeah, take, yeah, make sure.
1: I, I will take issue though with this idea that you cannot classify lyrics as autobiographical journals because at least from my understanding of rap. And again, I put the disclaimer, I'm not a historian on rap, (laughs) nor do I listen to it in the same frequency that I may listen to gospel or R&B. But I thought one of the fascinations about rap music is the fact that people are speaking to their situations in a style that's just appealing, but the lyrics are supposed to be at least for my understanding, are supposed to be rooted in their life experience. So to say that they're just figurative, figurative, and they're hyperboles and just about storytelling of a fictional sense, I'm, I'm like, are you not discrediting the value of, or at least the appeal of rap music?
0: Well, you might be uh, discrediting it, but but the reality of it is, is that any story that you tell. Uh, gains more public appeal when you dramatize it or hyperbolize it and so just because it's it's a re- based on a true story doesn't mean that it is a true story, I mean there's always some embellishment there's always some exaggeration of of the situation that's intentional. In order to be able to draw the crowd and to draw the interest and intrigue that that sells records or that sells movies, regardless of what you're doing, so I don't know that necessarily you can call it an autobiography and that it can be it that it should presumptively be used as as uh, an autobiography. Now, maybe if you can, <clears throat> um and particularly not maybe not just autobiography i'm thinking of also about some of the intent because you know you look at some of these gang wars that had gone on in the when was that the 80s or 90s or something I like was that say,
1: you would know before <coughs>
0: I don't know. It's probably before my time. I never really was into into rap very much. I don't even know who Jay Z. Who's Jay Z and uh, Mill M- Mickey do that. Mills don't or do something? That. Mik- don't do that. Mik- is that the same Mick Mill? Sorry, Me- I can't even. Mills. Meek Mills. Meek, M- 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 but- M- yes, <laughs> Meek Mills. That's what his name is, not General Mills or anything. But I better stop saying this before I start getting the East Coast West Coast beef with some of these guys because that's that's what's been going on for a while it was you know the East Coast versus West Coast rappers oh, and- but
1: was it a beef or was it hyperbole figuratively <laughs> I mean that's my that's my thing like the hey, it, a lot of rap was used to stop pro- I mean, not stop to push protests to push agendas that are, are particularly hindering oppression or not hindering but hindering black people or, or speaking to systemic racism so then to come now and say oh we were just telling a fictional story. I don't know at all. I mean, that that, you know, and, and particularly given, you know, when you think about history and how it's been told in the education system, it is not as much told by black figures as it's told by white people who could read and write. And so then that to me was part of the lore of rap music was, okay, now it's time for us to tell our story, but the only way for you to listen to it, if I put it in a style, that has a nice beat to it that you can easily get it fixated in your head
0: well i mean i think if you put in your lyrics i'm gonna roll up on you and shoot you in your head and then
1: (laughs) hey if that's what you did then let me present that as exactly
0: exactly (laughs) if you did it then yeah that should be evidence right there i would imagine that should be evidence and And so you should be cautious about what you put in your lyrics, especially if there is a remote possibility that you just might do it because it might be viewed as a confession and not even just a confession, but premeditation, Uh, which, you know, the question is, is whether or not some of that stuff could be used as uh, to to establish premeditation. You you said you were going to do this 15 years ago in your rap song. And lo and behold, guess what? You did it. Did that? Be premeditated. I guess it doesn't matter if it's premeditated. If you roll up and shoot somebody, well, it is, it's probably- it's gonna it is.
1: going to be used. It may or might not be used. I mean, I want to highlight another thing that was said in here um, was, and, and of course this is true, but it is nonetheless something that they have to deal with, is um, one, a study focused on the impact of rap lyrics on potential jurors. A researcher found that the set of violent rap lyrics he presented the study participants exerted a significant prejudicial impact on his test subjects to the point that participants who read the lyrics were significantly more likely to think the author of the lyrics was capable of committing murder than those who did not. But but that's been my thing. Like again, as rappers, if you're trying to put yourself out as this hardcore, and and again, this isn't all rap because I do think rap has gangster rap. Yeah, it's gangster rap, because I do think is evolved. You, you you don't hear like a Kanye or even Jay-Z, at that to that matter, really talking about going up and cop someone in the head or cap someone, whatever the urban lingo is. Um, so you really are talking about a certain set of, of individuals that are, are more so in that gangster area. But at the same time, that is the reputation you're trying to put out to the world. But then you get into a courtroom, you're like, oh, no, no, no. Don't use that to characterize me. <laughs> Let me put on my nice suit and say that, you know, yeah, it was my circumstances as to why I felt like I couldn't go one route over the other or why I wanted to portray myself as a certain individual that I'm not. I mean, I just find it interesting. But now there is no mistake that obviously the use of rap lyrics disproportionately hurts us as Black people did. Um, any other minority. But at the same time, the success of rap music is also more in our community than other communities, too. It's kind of like, again, you take the the good and the bad on that. (laughs) The
0: the reality is, I don't think you need to use the lyrics in the courtroom in order to villainize us. You can say, look at him. He's a black man. (laughs) And then he showed up with his dirty toes and untrimmed toenails. You know, All of those things can come Together to help paint a picture of, and he was wearing a hoodie with a bag of Skittles in his hands. You know, those are things that all can be used to bias a jury against us, particularly a black man. And so it really doesn't take very much to, 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 I think influence, uh, and in, introduce bias in a jury when it comes to a black defendant, especially a black male defendant. Um, the addition of the rap lyrics i do think that it is very situational and i agree with your your assessment where you said it depends and i think it depends on its relevance to the to the situation now if you're going to use the lyrics to establish a a pattern of behavior or to establish a potential mindset of an individual then i don't know that you can Solely rely on the lyrics of a song because, in reality, it is an artistic expression, and it is prone to exaggeration and/or embellishment uh, for the purpose of gaining popularity. But uh, if if you can establish your 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 um, your your argument. And your portrayal of a person's demeanor, demeanor, proclivity toward a certain action based off of other unrelated actions and, and, and past behaviors, then, yeah, I think it's, of course, I'm not a lawyer and I would certainly never claim to be a trial lawyer. It seems to me that it should be fair game.
1: Record that statement and put it on repeat. <laughs> but to your point, that I think that's really what's happening is that it's a, it's being used to either heighten a sentencing or to just put a nail on, on the coffin, but it's not used to present the coffin itself. I did, I pull up one of the cases that went to the Maryland Sur- Supreme Court. Now, again, I don't know these rappers, but his name was Lawrence Montague and he was uh, convicted of murder and, um, essentially there was a witness there and so you know again it wasn't all on the lyrics but its lyrics and try not to say the story without going too long but essentially it was a drug issue and the drug dealer realized that he received a counterfeit drug and maybe counterfeit bill when the person was purchasing the drug and so he shot him in the back killed him and uh and then the witness who saw it she unfortunately had some uh, war, arrest warrant so she left but then at some point the police picked her up and then she you know snitched <laughs> I <hate these> <laughs> but, she, but she retold the story and that's essentially how they got him and it's probably more so how they were able to convict him but and this is probably this crazy thing he could have done but as he was in jail he called one of his friends and then mind you and i just said it to say your calls are being recorded so <laughs> while you were in jail. But he called one of his friends and said, hey, I want to do a rap. Let's upload this to Snapchat. And so not only did he say this rap, but then he put it on a public platform. And he said, I'll be playing the block, B-word. And if you ever play with me, I'll give you a dream, a couple of sh- shots, snitch. It's like hockey pucks, the way I dish out this. It's a point forty when that B going to hit up. Yes, I know I don't say that as eloquently as rap artists do, <laughs> but the court used that to say he was threatening the witness um, because again, the case hind- hindered on her. And so and those rap lyrics were presented as evidence and helped to convict them.
0: I think they should be, you know, I mean, <laughs> I think people should be held accountable for what they say and what they say publicly, especially. Um, This whole notion, I think it speaks to the broader issue about what is the limits of our free speech and what should be the limits of our free speech. Uh, This past week, there was a woman who came in uh, before school board meeting about wearing masks, and and she was adamantly opposed to having kids wear masks. And she said, if you continue with this uh, behavior. I will make sure that we're coming up to the school, guns fully loaded. And, you know, and they stopped her, fortunately, because she had run out of her time. She was really about to say some things that were really damaging to her. But it sounded like she was threatening the school board to come to the school with guns and to to remedy the, to get the remedy that she desired or that she sought uh, using her weapons. And, I guess as she left, shortly after she left, she must have realized the the gravity of what she said, and then sent a text message or something to one of the school board members apologizing. But I think at that point the cat's out the bag. You know, you don't <laughs> of all places to claim that you're going to bring a gun and and you know fully loaded, you know, angrily about a policy that the school made. It's schools. Of all the places, why would you make that type of comment? And so she should, I believe, be charged. Hopefully she will be charged. That's my own personal opinion. (laughs) I don't know if there's any legal basis to that. But this whole notion about free speech that I can say anything that I want to say and not be held accountable for it, that's not part of free speech. You know, you should be held accountable for some of the things that you say, whether you had received your Miranda rights or not, you know, at least... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> when you get when you get arrested they tell you out words that you say can and will be used against you free speech In isn't
1: free but you know it goes back to the january 6th as well as well as trump's involvement i mean if you're telling everyone hey let's go walk up to the Capitol steps and you know this election was fraudulent and all this kind of stuff and then it leads to criminal activity then Hey, by what you're saying, we should be able to use your comments to say that you were part of this conspiracy to over not I should say overthrow, but to, to insurrect or to do something illegal on capital grounds. You know, to me, don't it, unless we're going to make the same rules for everyone, then don't change the rules to people that it, that it definitely benefits. And, and and that's why to some degree, I mean, I hear what some of these rap artists are saying, but at the same time, it's like, listen. The argument really should be applied this consistently on all types of speech. If if it again is a source of someone's criminal behavior, or it's a source of checking someone's character. But if you're only going to say, well, rap music has this connotation, and we should just attach that connotation, whereas Donald Trump language, oh well, that's a political figure. Well, then that's not fair. Let's, let's, let's be fair here, and especially when a lot of people would argue anything that comes out of Trump's mouth is some type of prejudicial rhetoric. And we should take it seriously. It's not poetry, it's not fictional, it's not storytelling to the point where, oh, it's just a hyperbole. No, we gotta take this stuff seriously. And, and if we, you know, Twitter banned his speech, then, you know, that should be something that we need to consider for other people who are engaging or using their speech to engage in criminal activity. You know, interesting enough, you know, it'll be touched on this briefly, but the Jane Racist Committee is now issuing subpoenas. I know we talked about this last week, but I hope Ivanka Trump doesn't get out of that subpoena that she needs to go (laughs) go before the committee and speak on what she's going to say now. You know that the family is being, to some degree, investigated by the New York Attorney General. So whether or not she sits through that, we'll see, because I'm sure by your comments, you might think, well, whatever I say can and will be used against me. (laughs) Uh, But I mean, I'm just like, okay, we're going to be consistent, free speech isn't free. and, And you know, if it leads to criminal activity, then that is what it is.
0: So, well, maybe not just criminal activity, but what about civil damages? Uh, Sarah Palin is now filing a lawsuit against the New York Times. And so if you're going to apply it to each of the situation across the board, if you're going to apply it evenly, then it should also then be applied to uh, those media sources that are charged with the responsibility of reporting. I think sometime, some years ago, they reported some things that uh, some association with, uh, I think it was the shooting of Gabby Gifford, who uh, <clears throat> they, they attributed some of the, I want to say it was some campaign information or some rhetoric that Sarah Palin had. They attributed the New York Times, I believe it was, um, attributed the motive somehow or another to something that she posted. And then later on determined that it was no no identifiable relationship between the shooting and <clears throat> something that Sarah Palin said. But she's coming back and she's filing a lawsuit. And I'm told that she has an uphill battle on this because she's a public figure. And there is a belief that if you are a public figure, then you have a platform in order to defend yourself. And that's assuming that you know your platform is not removed. So Donald Trump can't probably use that same, can probably use that same argument because he can't use his public platform to defend himself as well because he's been banned from some of those.
1: <laughs> Even though he's creating his own one, right? We'll see where that goes. <laughs> but you know what it reminds me of Megan Markle. She sued, I wanna say the Daily Mail or, or some publication, it might not have been, so me not put that out there, but some publication in the UK. Um for using, I want to say some of the uh, letters that she sent to her father and all kind of stuff to to defame her or whatever and won so she so she won. yeah, but now I don't doubt it was an uphill battle. and when she and she when she won, I think she received millions of dollars and she's probably gonna put that at some kind of charity or whatnot. but as you as you say that, you know, hey, yes, as a public figure, there are some consequences or costs as you like to say but at the same time if someone is intentional about using their freedom of speech to harm you then i think we should then allow that speech to be used as evidence
0: it's <laughs> well i don't know i i, I look at the situation and find that there are and i blame lawyers for this first of all okay, because you know lawyers more. Lawyers always find a way to introduce complexity into what should be a straightforward belief. You know, the things that seem logical to us often are twisted somehow or another and dismissed based off of legality. So just logical and legal uh, do not necessarily go hand in hand. And often they fully contradict each other. I
1: mean, neither does religion and logic by that matter.
0: Well, that's acceptable because, you know, and that's the, acceptable. That's, here's the reason why. The reason why is because religion is expected to be based on faith, which incorporates the belief that some things are just not going to be logical. But when you think about the laws, you expect laws to be legal. I mean, to be to be logical, to be based off of some type of human and broadly accepted logic. Uh especially if it's going to impugn a, uh, you know, uh, some type of Logic is
1: subjective. I think that's the punishment. thing. Logic is just kind of, when we talk about stand your ground laws, for white, for some white people, it is logical that if a black man in the hoodie is in your approaching you, that you should be able to shoot them out of self-defense. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, we laugh and we laugh because it's an unfortunate consequence, but I'm just saying you know, every, when you talk about logic, it's still subjective. You know, I got to defend my, my law here. Yeah,
0: whatever. <laughs> again, just because, like I said, you, your attorneys try to take something that should be logical and straightforward <laughs> and make it far more complex than it really needs to be. Because
1: and life is not logical and straightforward.
0: No. The reason why is because you get paid by the hour. No, by the <laughs> by the minute, by the by the ten minute increment. <laughs> and so the more complex you can make it and the more verbose you can make your argument, the more likely you are to get paid. And I think that that, you know, I think that's just wrong. I think that's wrong.
1: Well, let's be fair. Let's be fair. If you have to go to a lawyer, then your situation was not logical or straightforward. It was complex. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if it wasn't complex before, no,
0: it will be complex. No question about it.
1: I say, if you have to go to a lawyer, it's complex. But we, I, I talk about this a lot of the time in family law because you get, and I know this is a topic for another day, but you get a lot of fathers that are like, oh, the system is against me. Okay, if if you and your spouse or the mother of your child came to a logical and fair conclusion, you wouldn't need to go to court. But because you guys, in your logical <laughs> way of thinking, could not come to a fair and reasonable agreement, <laughs> Then, yes, you force the courts to then have to figure out the complexity of your opinions. That's all we're doing. (laughs) I
0: I don't fault you for defending your profession. I don't fault you for it. You know, like I said, many of attorneys have gotten super rich off of taking something simple and straightforward and making it elaborately complex. Uh, So, I mean, it should be pretty logical. Donald Trump said this on January 6th and the people did this and it should go straight forward. But your attorneys are uh, are going to make it much more complex.
1: Trump is making it more complex. (laughs) The world sees that very straightforward. Sorry, Trump, you lost. It's Trump that had made that complex.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but I do think it speaks, all of this speaks to the broader issue about this whole uh, notion of free speech. Uh, the Bible tells us that the tongue is a powerful organ. It's a tiny member of the body, but it can steer an entire ship. It's kind of like the keel of a ship. It's a small part of the ship, but it turns it tells exactly the direction that it's going. and And I think we have to keep that in mind that uh, the words that we speak really help to pave the direction and the path of our of our lives and of our futures. And so when you are willing to speak some things for the purpose of being provocative or just for the purpose of of generating income, you have to realize that this thing is taking you down a path that, that in the end, you might not be terribly satisfied with or are happy with, but you still have to deal with the consequence of it. Why? Because it was your tongue that created the situation uh, for your good and sometimes perhaps for your bad. Um, and, and, and I think, you know, this whole notion of free speech in America, I, I, I like it as an American, but as a citizen of the kingdom of God, I think that it is taking this country down a path that will eventually lead to its destruction.
1: Well, it's interesting that you give some leniency to the children. But when it comes to the adults appreciating the consequences of their speech hey no mercy
0: (laughs) no mercy that's true i mean it's true children say all kinds of things when you're a young child you say oh she fat and like i ain't black i'm brown you know those types of things that's what kids say because of their understanding is limited
1: to have her hair laid oh sorry that was you and your adult (laughs) face
0: And I stand by that. I stand by that. <laughs> your hair is late today, by the way. I should say, your hair is late. <laughs> anyway, it's time to end this show right now because I see it's about to get personal.
1: <laughs> well, we hope that you guys are liking and commenting on today's show. In the meantime, we are here every Saturday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Central Standard Time. You can always catch us on your favorite podcast platform. Please do follow us on those platforms as well and comment as we like to see not only the support that you have, but also the information or the feedback that you give us. And we will see you next week. Thanks so much for tuning in.
0: This has been another episode of the Roundtable Consult. Listen to this or other episodes at your convenience on your favorite podcast directory or listening app or catch us live every Saturday morning, 10 a.m. Central Standard Time, 11 a.m. Eastern at Facebook.com forward slash Roundtable Consult. Tune in live and join the conversation.